kids. Our mission with Via Love International is to make disciples that make disciples. And so in Honduras, there's a lot of poverty, 65%. Actually, since COVID, I don't know the exact statistic, but I can tell you that it's even more than that. Live in extreme poverty, so $2 a day kind of stuff. So they live in shanty towns. And then in 2020, we also had two back-to-back Category 5 hurricanes. They were 10 days apart. Um, so coming, you know, through the first year of COVID in November of 2020 to have two devastating storms, um, we're talking about people that are in really desperate situations that are really struggling. Um, and so part of the, the way that we make disciples and that we, we work at that is first meeting physical needs, right? You can't hear about the gospel of Jesus Christ if you can't, if your stomach is growling and you can't hear anything, you know, and there's a lot of violence, a lot of crime. These kids are literally pursued by the gangs from young, young ages. And when you have a kid who's hungry, who hasn't eaten and they don't know when they're going to be able to eat, And somebody comes and says, hey, I'll give you money if you take this to such and such place or do this. Like, the kid is obviously going to do what's going to fill their belly, you know. So we feel like with simple strategies of having daily feeding programs, which we have, um, it's a way of giving kids a different option. If they have food to eat, they don't have to make desperate decisions. Um, We've also done a lot of work in the orphanages, and Pastor Sean and Pastor Deanna have been able to go to the orphanage with me. And most of the kids in the orphanage that, that we work with are there because of malnutrition. And so they're separated from their families. Sometimes they don't get to go back. All kinds of different things because of a lack of food. And so sometimes doing something as simple as giving them a for sure meal every day. In Honduras, lunch is the big meal. So we do it at lunchtime. Some of the kids come after school if they have school in the morning. And some come before school if they have after school if they have school in the afternoon. And we just feed them as a way of being able to clear any obstacles for for them to fall into things that they shouldn't fall into and then have the opportunity to hear truth, to hear hope, um, to receive love and see people transformed. When we first started working in the dump, um, there were about, we, we always partner with local churches as well. That's a really, for us to be able to do this you know, we have to be able to partner with local churches. And so the church that we were working with when we first started ministering in the dump had about eight people that showed up. And the church was just a roof. It didn't have walls. It just was a dirt floor. But it had a roof. And that's where they were meeting. And the people were just very, very cold. Like, you know, we would show up and like had our faces painted and we're like all excited. And they'd be like, And just really difficult place because they were used to people coming in and not lasting. People coming in and wanting to take all of the photos of look what I'm doing in this terrible place and then leaving. And so we had to consistently come in and show them like, we're not here. We're not taking pictures of you. We're not here to to take advantage of your situation or do anything else. We're here simply because we want to give a reason for the hope that we found in Christ. And we know that you are people that, that in this moment maybe are lacking hope, maybe can't see around your situation, that you're focused on the situation and you can't see that God has bigger things, has other things planned for your life. And that's why we're here. And we just kept loving them. And they kept saying like, you just keep coming back. We're like, yeah, exactly. And we're going to keep coming back. So you might as well start to like us. And eventually they did. They started trusting us. We actually have an actual church building there now with walls and a roof and a floor. And we were able to build um, a kitchen and a dining hall. 
Um, and in the mountain village where we're serving, you guys actually helped us build the kitchen and the dining hall. The kids there were literally eating underneath a tree. The, the ladies would cook on an open fire and then the kids would eat under a tree and we had tables, but it wasn't level. And so they'd have to like hug their plate and eat like this. And so thanks to you guys, we now have a beautiful dining hall and a kitchen where the kids are able to eat every day, learn about God's word. But I want to share with you guys a testimony of one of the members of our team. Um, That's something that's inspired me and that's inspiring people all around Honduras and all around the world that I think is such an important message for where we find ourselves in today. Um, I don't know if you guys have noticed, but the world is kind of lost its mind a little bit. Um, we have a saying in Spanish, que todo está pata arriba, that everything's with its feet up, like it's upside down, it's backwards. Things are not how they should be in this world, and it can become so overwhelming, so discouraging. It can induce fear, you know, um, uncertainty, all of those kinds of things. And so just remembering to keep our focus where it should be is kind of what we're going to talk about today as I share this testimony. Um, so eight years ago, just before I moved to Honduras, I had the opportunity to go and lead worship inside the prison. Now, San Pedro Sula, Honduras has been known as the murder capital of the world, although now we're like number two or three. We're going down, and that makes me super happy. Um, <laughs> Chicago's beating us. That doesn't make me happy, but <laughs> at least we're going in the right direction in San Pedro Sula. And so I had the opportunity to go into the prison of the murder capital of the world, so you can imagine the kind of people that I was surrounded with. And um, I didn't have any idea what I was going to be walking into. I was picturing prison like here in America, the orange jumpsuits, the handcuffs, the guards, and everybody behaves and whatever. Well, in San Pedro Sula, it's basically a wall, and then inside the prisoners form their own city. And the guards don't go inside, and the prisoners don't go outside. And so... I went in, there's no handcuffs, there's no guards, there's actually weapons. There was this guy opening a coconut with a machete and I was like, Does, do they know he has that in here? And they're like, yeah, I mean, they have their own businesses. It's kind of like a horror movie, it's, it's crazy. So anyways, I was in there and I met um, a man who was actually one of the pastors inside the prison. He's a prisoner, but he, they formed a church where they had 43 church services a month inside the prison prison, which was built for 800 people, and at this time it had around 4,000 people. So very crowded, a lot of craziness. And I met this pastor, and you could just see his heart, you know. And um, a few years later, he was released from prison, and I ran into him again at a church. And I had never really heard his story. I wasn't exactly sure why he was in prison. I just knew that he was, and I figured it was probably pretty bad. Um, and so we were talking, and he was sharing his story with me. And basically, when he was a young man, he was, he was convicted of murdering someone else and was sentenced to 22 years in prison. So he's in prison, and he, he always claimed that he was innocent, that it didn't happen. He never had a trial. Um, he never had a sentencing hearing. They just went to his house one day asking where the body was, and he was like, I don't know what you're talking about, and they put him in prison, and that, that was that. You know, the justice system there is a little different. And so um, he's in prison for something he didn't do, experiencing all of these crazy things, but early on in his time in prison, he 
met Jesus Christ and he heard the gospel message and he decided to give his life to Jesus. And so day in and day out, what he was doing was just studying God's word, learning who God was, worshiping him. He was going to the 43 services every month that they had inside the prison. And I can tell you that these prisoners, they worship in a way that's so free that it's challenging to me because I'm actually free, but they worship freer than the free people. And so just really inspiring. But he, he ended up being in prison for 17 years. And during that 17 years, he met his wife who had gone in to, to visit her cousin who was one of his cellmates. They don't have cells, but you, you get the idea. One of his people in prison with him. He met his wife. They had their children all while he was in prison for 17 years. And he just kept leading prisoners to Christ. He just became kind of this missionary inside the walls of this prison, and God totally transformed his heart. So when he gets out of prison, he keeps doing the same. He's preaching, he's going places, and he's sharing the good news, he's sharing the gospel, and he goes to a church one Sunday, and he's talking about how he had just gotten out of 17 years in prison, but what God had done in his life, and how he had learned to love his desert, because that's where God met him, and all of these things. And this man comes up to him after service, and he says, I need to ask your forgiveness. And his name's Pastor Jose, and Pastor Jose's like, what, what do I have to forgive? What, what have you done to me? And he said, I'm the reason that you were in prison. I'm the man that you supposedly killed. He was alive. I mean, he wasn't seeing a ghost. The guy didn't die. He was, he was right when he said he didn't do it and spent 17 years in prison for a murder of a man that didn't even die. And Pastor Jose said something to him that I can't even believe. I still can't even believe that he was able to say this. He said, no. Instead of you asking me for forgiveness, I need to thank you because you were used of God to take me to a place where God was able to reach me, to transform me, and to prepare me for the ministry that he's now given me. And so I have nothing to forgive. Better than that, I need to thank you. How many of you guys would respond that way if you were looking at the man that caused you to lose 17 years of your freedom, not be able to see your children every day, not be able to see them grow up, not be able to sleep in the same bed with your wife or have dinner on the table with your family? But that was his response because he said, I had to learn to love my desert. I had to learn to love my process. He shares about a time that for good behavior, the guards let him go with them to the beach. And he was able to take his wife, and they're like, we're going to put a guard with you, you know, so you can't escape. And he's like, that's fine. I'm just thankful for the opportunity to get out of this place and spend time with my wife. And this was like halfway through his sentence. And they're sitting there on the beach, and the guard goes off and gets totally trashed. And so Pastor Jose and his wife are there, and his wife's like, let's go. We can go. You're innocent anyways. Like we can, you know, go, go do all of the things that you want to do. And he said, I'm not being faithful to this guard by staying. I'm being faithful to God because until God takes me out of the prison, it's because he wants me there. And so I'm going to continue to be there. I'm going to continue to be used of him in that place. And when it's his time, he'll take me out of there. I don't know that that would have been my response. I'm pretty sure I would have been on the first bus out of that place. But he knew that God had a purpose in his pain. He knew that God wasn't just um, punishing him, or, but he was preparing him for what was to come. 
And that's like so, so many of us, we find ourselves in difficult situations. Maybe we're not wrongly imprisoned for 17 years, but we face many difficult trials. We sometimes, we have that saying, when it rains, it pours. Like sometimes it just doesn't stop. It's one blow after the next, or we fight illnesses for way longer than then we feel like we can handle. We have all of these things that are constantly being thrown our way. But what God is doing is he's, he's preparing us. And that's why he says in his word, take joy when you face trials of many kinds because I'm, I'm preparing you. I'm equipping you. I'm teaching you what you need to know for what I'm going to do. But he also says that those who share with me in my suffering will share with me in my glory. And we have the opportunity as Christians to have that attitude to say, man, this is not easy. He talks about how the lights would go out. They would turn off the electricity at a certain time of night. And, and he would hear things going on in the room where he was sleeping. And the people just said, if anybody says anything, you know what's going to happen. And as soon as the sun came up, he would see bodies hanging in the place where he was sleeping. Like he had to see all kinds of terrible, horrible things. But with the attitude of... God's preparing something in me. God's preparing something in me. And he's preparing something in each of you as you go through these difficult times. He's preparing in each of us a testimony. Like I've been thinking a lot lately about how people are like, oh, Tiffany's a, a worshiper. She's a singer. She's a missionary. She, but I'm not. What I am is a testimony of what God has done in my life, of who he's been to me. And he uses music he uses via love to allow me to express that testimony, but those are not who I am. Who I am is a testimony of God's goodness, of God's faithfulness, of God's mercy, of his provision, of his hope in hopeless situations, his light in the darkness, his ability to give a peace that isn't even able to be explained and a joy that can't be contained. That is a testimony that God is building in each of us as we pass through difficult times, as we pass through trials. And so as Pastor Jose, he finally is able to get out of prison a few years early because the prison was so overcrowded and he had always been he had, so well behaved, he didn't cause any problems, so they let him get out early. And so finally, he has the opportunity to live with his family, work, start to have, you know, the life that, that he has always wanted to give his family, the life he's always wanted, have freedom to go here, spend time with his extended family, work, have nicer things, all of these things. But what happens? He gets out of prison and he feels like God is calling him to go to a remote mountain village two hours from where he's from to reach a people that didn't even want him there in the beginning to live in a house that in the beginning his house was made out of nylon and his roof was leaky and we live in a really rainy area of Honduras but here's his opportunity to finally see, now I'm going to get what I really deserve. I'm going to live a good life. I paid my, my time. I went through my trial. Now it's my time, God. Now I'm owed this. A lot of us would have that, that attitude of like, now it's my time. But he didn't do that. He said, okay, God, I'll go. I'll go live in a village. I'll go do these things because my life's not mine. A lot of us have prayed the prayer before, giving our lives to Christ but we can see the example of Pastor Jose, of all the heroes of the faith that we read about in Hebrews 11, of so many people. What that really means is when we give our lives to Christ, we're saying, I no longer live for me, but I live for God. My reward is going to be in heaven. That's when 
God graciously is going to give me what I don't deserve, but that's just how good he is. But here on earth, I live for God. And so nothing really is even sacrifice because in the end, I get the reward. In the end, I get to be with him for eternity in a place that doesn't have any pain, in a place that doesn't have any tears, in a place that doesn't have, it's never feet up, as we say in Spanish, a place that's always perfect. And that's, that's what we get. We share with Christ in his suffering. You guys know Jesus Christ suffered in every way imaginable. He suffered physically. We know that story. He suffered emotionally. He suffered physically. He suffered economically. It says that the Son of Man didn't even have a place to lay his head. He suffered socially. He was outcast. He was lied about. He was accused of things. He suffered in all of these ways that we can experience to some degree here in this world. And we have, and it's difficult. But Jesus had to suffer in a way that we will never have to suffer. Because when he decided to take, when, when God sent him to take our sins upon him and to die as the perfect sacrifice to bring atonement for our sins, and he had all the sins of the world on his shoulders, his last words were, God, why have you forsaken me? Because God had to, to look away from him because he was covered in our sins and abandon him so that he would never have to abandon us. And as soon as Jesus said those words, what happened? He hung his head and he died because he, could, he, he couldn't even survive being abandoned by God, but he did it so that we never have to be abandoned by God. We will never have to suffer in that way. As long as we can go through all kinds of difficult things, things that seem like death, things that seem like we're not going to be able to get through them, things that are way too heavy for us to carry, but as long as there's air in our lungs, it's because God's still with us. And the moment that we die, we're going to go be with him he never leaves us. He's always with us. And so we can remember that, like we're sharing with Christ in his suffering. He suffered in the same ways, and now he shares in the glory with his Father, and that's what he's offering us to us too. There's a scripture that says, like, share with Christ in his suffering, like, and you will have the eternal weight of glory. It says the word weight, and I think about, like, the weight of glory. Every time we're passing through a trial or a difficult time, it's like weight training to be able to carry the glory that God is going to give us, that we're going to be able to share with him in heaven. And so we have to keep our eyes focused on the prize. We can get so bogged down by all of the things going on in our world, by all of the difficulties planning for the future or worrying about the future or doing all of these things, we can, we can be focused on, on our emotions, we can be focused on our situation, but all of those things are temporary. We as Christians are called to keep our eyes fixed on him, the author and the perfecter of our faith, the one who is eternal, the one who won't change. That's where we keep our focus. We can come and we can be in the storm just like the disciples in the boat were being tossed around but we can keep our eyes fixed on him and trust that God is gonna be good in every situation. I can tell you that with Pastor Jose, his life still isn't perfect. He still has trials. He, he's a person that, that gives it all for Christ. He doesn't live in a mansion. He doesn't have a car. He, but he trusts God. He knows that this life, he is given, he's given his life to Christ, which means I don't live for these things. I live for Christ. And Christ is going to do in me what he wants to do for his glory. Use me how he wants to use me. And I can tell you that he's being used mightily of God. He's the one that's running Via Love right now while I'm here in the States. He's the one that's teaching the kids every day who Christ is. 
he's going and preaching in all of these different places and seeing lives transformed, seeing lives transformed just by remembering that he gave his life to Christ and keeping his eyes fixed on eternal things. In Honduras, it's really easy for the people to get bogged down by their situation. They, they live in such desperate situations. I mean, imagine living in the dump. The smells, the, they come and they, they set it on fire to make room for new trash. So many, many times, like every couple of weeks, there's a few days where it's just smoke day and night. And you have to live in it, you have nowhere to go. You're just breathing in smoke day and night all of the things that that's releasing into the air, all of the animals that gather at the dump for the same reason, it's not an easy place to live. And a lot of times, these kids, you can ask them, like, what do you want to be when you grow up? Like, if you ask a kid that here in America, they have all kinds of answers. They may even say, like, I'm going to be Spider-Man, and they really believe that they can be it because they've been able to see and dream and believe for different things. But the kids in Honduras, if you ask them, they're like, what do you mean? What do you want to be when you grow up? Like, like, I don't understand the question. What do you want to be? They, because they only know what they've seen. And what they've seen is, well, I'll probably have a bunch of kids, and, but no marriage. I won't live with them. I'll probably be, you know, addicted to drugs or alcohol. Or the woman will be like, I'll be some man's possession, and he'll treat me bad. And I won't be able to have an education past sixth grade. And because that's what they've seen. That's what they know. They can't see beyond their situation. And so what we've been able to do is go in and say, like, God has a purpose for your life. God can do impossible things. Let's ask God what his purpose is for your life. Let's dream big. Let's see different things. Let's give God the opportunity to transform our situation and transform this place. I have to tell you, right now, the, the city where the dump is, they're saying, we're going to move the dump somewhere else. We've been begging them for this for a long time. Like, please go put it where there's not people living. And they've always said, no, this is where it's going to go. And da, 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 da. And we're finally seeing God maybe isn't going to take these people out of the dump. But guess what he's going to do? He's going to take the dump away. This is what we're believing for. They've told us, they're like, within the next few months, we're going to move the dump. You can see there's like a, a wall behind our feeding program. There's like a wall of trash. And the wall's getting shorter. They're talking about building a school right next door to the feeding program. God, maybe God can't take each one of them out of the dump and take them far away, but he's transforming the community. He's transforming their lives because he's faithful and because he's good and because he's showing them that he can do exceedingly more than what they can even think or imagine. And he's transforming lives. But it's the same God that's doing that there, that is doing that here. And we have such an opportunity right now in our country of the United States of America where there's so many people that are desperate, that are confused, that don't have anything solid to hold on to. And we have an opportunity, like Paul says, to give a reason for the hope that we have. Why am I not concerned? Because I have this hope in Jesus Christ that, yeah, things are going to get worse, most likely. It's not going to be easy. But I have this hope in Christ that he's coming back and that he's with me in the meantime and that he's going to give me all the things that I need to go through it. And I have this, this thing that won't change no matter what happens in the world, no matter what the governments of the world say my God doesn't change. And that's why I like that song. I never heard that song that we sang, that second one about um, what you said is true. I don't even remember how it goes. But um, that's one of my favorite things about coming back to America too is learning all the new worship songs in English. But um, 
But yeah, that's, that's the hope that we have, that everything around us can change. And that's why we can't look at our situation. We can't look at our circumstances. We can't listen to our emotions because all of those things are temporary things. We keep our eyes fixed on Jesus because he's the only thing that's not going to change. He's the only thing that's eternal. And he's the only thing that, that we can hold on to. And it's our job to share that with others. When you hear people saying like, yeah, I don't know what I'm going to do. Things are going to get bad. And we can say, they are. But guess what? There's a way that you can have peace in the middle of the storm. There's a way that you can have hope in the midst of the hopelessness. There's a way that you can see light in the midst of the darkness. And his name is Jesus. And let me tell you what he's done in my life because I am a testimony of what he's done because I've seen it. I've experienced it. I've gone through difficult things, but I can tell you that God is good and that God is real and that he's with us and that soon we will physically be with him. And we have an opportunity to share that with the people around us. Amen? We, um, we're just focused on, on, on that in Honduras. Just, Honduras is a very evangelized country. It'd be hard to find somebody who's never heard about Jesus, but to have somebody who has had somebody walk beside them and help them learn how to walk that out is is something that they haven't seen. And that's what we're committed to is saying like, now that you've heard about this Jesus and you've accepted him, let us teach you how to walk with him. Let us teach you how to let him transform your life. Let us teach you how to grow in his character and do all of these things. And that's where we're seeing real impact in our kids, in their families, in the community. It's not about their houses getting bigger or any of those things, but their character growing and their hearts being healed and becoming one with his. And so that's what we're doing. We're, we're working with many different pastors, equipping them to do the same thing. We're doing it in the way of worship. We have a worship ministry called Rio Worship, where we have, we're teaching these kids in the feeding programs how to play instruments and how to worship and how to host the presence of God so that we can go out and host his presence in all these different places so that people can worship, we'll go door to door and we'll just say, you know what? The Bible says that God is inhabited in the praises of his people. So would you let us come into your house and just worship and invite his presence here so that he can live here amongst you? And the people are always like, is that easy? And we're like, yeah. And so we just, you know, we'll just sing and, and the presence of God will come and we'll pray for them. And it's not a big show. It's not this grand thing. It's just... Jesus is just his presence and it's just taking it wherever he gives us the opportunity to take it so he can be inhabited in the praises of his people and he can live among among them and so that the people can be transformed and be changed but we have so much work still left to do um, Honduras is in a very difficult situation we just elected a new president and things are interesting and things are difficult and many people are still needing that hope. And so we're doing the best that we can to, to disciple people who are learning how to then go and disciple people. We have in September what we call Children's Day. It's like a national, under a national holiday where you celebrate kids like Mother's Day or Father's Day. It's Children's Day. And um, so this Children's Day, we're, we're preparing our kids instead of being the ones that are receiving like they're used to, you know, we'll take pinata and all of that stuff and celebrate with them. But this Children's Day, we're preparing them how to reach other kids. And we're going to go to places where we're not yet working. 
and we're going to reach those other kids. So instead of having children's ministry where the kids are just being ministered to, we're having children's ministry where the kids are ministering, and they've learned how to play these instruments. They've learned how to lead worship. Some of them are even already learning how to preach, like read a verse and talk about what it says and apply it to their lives and then explain it to somebody else. And the kids are doing this. And so we're really excited for September for Children's Day when the kids are going to go reach the other kids, right? And that's what it's about is letting God transform our lives and then using us so that he can transform other lives. And so that's what, that's what we're doing in Honduras. And so I just thank you guys so much for being a part of it with us.